And I went downstairs and my dad was there and I said, um, I know I'm supposed to submit and I know I'm supposed to have sex when he needs it so that he's not tempted. And I've, and I've never said no to him in, in 17 years Dad. I swear I've never said no. Even when it's three times a day, dad, I've never said no. And I always act like I'm enjoying it, that I've done everything you and mom told me, but he's hurting me and I'm sick. And last night I passed out and I'm scared. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I've done everything right. I've done everything you told me. And he looked at me and he said, you know, some women go through menopause early. And I just remember thinking, I can't live this lie. Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. Mm -hmm. And I'm joined by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. As we are getting ready to listen to part two of Alyssa Wakefield's story. Yes, and it's good. Yeah, so last week, Alyssa Wakefield, who grew up in a Gothard homeschooling fundamentalist family, was sharing her story leading up to the courtship and betrothal, which was arranged by her father, her husband's father and her husband without Alyssa's permission. Mm -hmm. And she was just sort of informed, this is the one that God has for you. And that led to a very disastrous marriage, which Alyssa is now free of. And we're going to hear more about that today. You know, we we really are about healthy and evidence-based. Yes. (laughs) And the problem is that in far too many segments of Christianity, it hasn't been healthy nor no. evidence-based. It's no, just, it's, it's been purposely ignoring the evidence so they can keep pushing their agenda. Yeah, and it's been about power and control, and that's yeah. had disastrous effects. So I hope you listen to part one. If you haven't, it might be a good idea to turn this podcast off, download, download part one, mm-hmm. and listen to Alyssa. And now we're going to pick up from right where Alyssa has just been told by her family that this is the person that God has for her, even though she doesn't like him, she's not attracted to him, and he's 10 years older than her. So here's Alyssa. So I have now no choice. The men have lined this up. Now I just need to get excited. I need to find a way to get excited. And um, within a week's time, I felt a lot of pressure in that week that they couldn't believe Alyssa didn't just say yes, go with God's will instantly. So a week later, a call phone call was set up and I said, okay. I I'm, I'm ready for this courtship, but I think you need to know I was, I, I couldn't lie. So right. I think you need to know I'm, I'm not interested in you. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm not worried about that. I'll win your heart. You know, a, a true man who cares about a woman cares about her heart and how she feels. Mm-hmm. Who cares if she's not interested, <laughs> you know, but when men are taught that, that she doesn't have agency, yeah. that you're, you're about to get he, the father has all the agency and you're about to be the next guy in line that gets all the agency. Yep. And she's just your that. reward. She's just yes. your reward. How long was this courtship before? Well, you know, courtships have to be fast. So you don't have temptation, you know, that's yeah. kind of the line of reasoning and they have to be chaperoned by family because you can't have temptation because all guys think about is sex all the time. So, you know, right. it's very guarded. 
and the purity culture times intensity at that point. And so um, we were to write letters. There was, I think, six letters. And it was mainly him sharing all his standards of from modesty to music um, and all of Bill Gothard stuff. And then we had a family get together twice before I had an engagement ring on my finger. So that was three months, maybe less than three months from the day that he told me God my, the dads gave permission. And then in 10 months time from that walk that I just described, I was raped on my wedding night. So that was a very short, um, very fast. And I think we might've seen each other three times before engagement and, uh, May 31st to this last Tuesday would have been 25 years Wow. to that date. Um, And I am, as of April 27th of this last spring, four years free. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. Very, very, every day. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy to be alive. Yeah. And just brief, you know, when you marry somebody who has of all those theologies and doctrines, an entitlement to a woman's body and ownership over her, a umbrella over her. I didn't understand probably one of the first awakenings for me was about a, uh, seven or eight years into the marriage where I really began to have this deep awakening from the robotic programming. I was sitting in a place somewhere, I don't even remember, and I picked up a secular magazine, which we're never supposed to do. I'm never mm-hmm. supposed to pick up secular magazines. But I noticed an article that said something about a story of escape from a Muslim woman. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I took a deep breath. I thought, no, I'm not so supposed to read these worldly evil magazines because they're not Christian. They're not Rio, but I'm going to pick it up. And I, I scrolled to the back and there was a picture of a, a Muslim woman in the head garb and everything. And it just said her story of escape to Canada. And I just was reading word for word. And I just tears streaming down my face because it was my story. And I had never related to anybody ever. Nobody understood me. Nobody knew my story. Nobody knew how I felt. Nobody knew what I had gone through. And here this Muslim woman had my story. Yeah. And I thought, how could this be? And she got away. Mm-hmm. She got away. She had to marry someone 10 years older than her that she didn't love because of the fathers. And he was abusive. And he owned her. And the father owned her. And then the father basically sold her to him and then he owned her and then he almost killed her and the story's going on i'm just like here i am this good godly christian Mm. mom of many and why do i only relate to this escaped muslim woman Mm. and it was this i don't even not explain that moment for me i think it was 27 i think i've been married about eight years and i just remember thinking i can't live this lie for all, mm-hmm. I'm living this life for all these men, for my mm-hmm. dad, for his dad, for him, for his brother. No one even knows about the brother's side of the story. Nobody knows that the dads actually blew it, that this was the second choice. <laughs> Nobody knows the truth. And I'm living a lie for all of them. I began to, at that point, speak up. I went to my mom and I began to say, is it, is it normal for like, you know, for like a husband to need sex every day, like a couple times a day, you know, is, is all birth control wrong? Because like, 
this is my third miscarriage and I've had eight baby. I mean, like, you know, I begin to ask mm-hmm. questions like, is this, are we sure this is normal? Is this right? I feel like I'm dying. Is, is that normal and okay? Yes. Suffer for Christ. Christ suffered. Okay. Got it. Um, I'm not sure he's supposed to be doing this to me. Don't talk about your husband behind his back. That's gossip. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, and every time I would go for help to the godly people in my life, the Christian counselors, the homeschool speakers, the world renowned people that are adored all over that everybody goes for marriage counseling for. I was handed love and respect. (laughs) I went through the entire series a decade into this abusive relationship because that was going to cure Alyssa and get her submissive back to him because I was beginning to break. You and know? your parent, and I think you told me too, your parents went through the biblical counseling program at John MacArthur's yes. church. Yes, as well. Yeah. So when I went to my parents, every time I went, I was just given horrible information. You need to have more sex. Are you sure you're fully submitted? Have you, have you, is there something that he's like maybe upset about? Did you talk back to him? Maybe it's because you opened your own bank account. That's probably it. That's independent. You know, you need to fully, I mean, it was always something I'd be like, okay, I'll go back and try harder. So it was always go back and try harder. And I would come back and I remember talking to my dad in the kitchen. This was about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And we were living with him for the seventh time because he couldn't keep a job and he couldn't provide for all the 10 of us. And so we were constantly back into my parents' house, which gave them control over and over again. And I went down to the kitchen because I'd had uh, the flu and I had a fever of about 104 and I just had our eighth baby and I was very sick and I was homeschooling everybody. And we were without a home. We lived in my parents' upstairs. And I thought, I don't know if I can go on. I don't, I think I'm going to die. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm about 110 pounds. And it doesn't seem that anybody seems to be noticing that. And, and I want to be here for my kids. I love these kids. I, w- I want to be a mom, but I'm, I think I'm dying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I went downstairs and my dad was there. And I said, um, I know I'm supposed to submit. And I know I'm supposed to have sex when he needs it so that he's not tempted. And I've, and I've never said no to him in, in 17 years that I swear I've never said no. Even when it's three times a day, dad, I've never said no. And I always act like I'm enjoying it, that I've done everything you and mom told me. I said, but he's hurting me and I'm sick. And last night I passed out and I'm scared and I have babies. I don't know what to do. I've done everything right. I've done everything you told me to do and all the books told me to do and love and respect I've done and I'm I think I'm dying and he looked at me and he said you know some women go through menopause early and I sat there I was like I said dad I'm not going through menopause I have higher sex drives than he does I'm sure of it And of course I could say that because I'm like, I'm not getting anything. And I, (laughs) there's another way I'm dying. It's the fact that I'm never getting a release here. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure that's not it. And he said, we know some women just go through menopause and you know, women have less sex drive than men. You need to understand where men are coming from. I was like, did you not just hear what I just said? If you, yeah. I'm try it again, dad. And I remember just being like, 
how do I make a man that's been so brainwashed into all of this culture mm-hmm. understand that his daughter's dying? How do I, how do I do this? So I looked at him and I said, dad, I'm, I'm only 35. I think I was 36 and I'm not going through menopause. I got more firm than I normally do. You know, mm-hmm. I said, I'm not going through menopause, dad. I said, what he's doing to me is wrong. There was no response. There was nothing. He couldn't hear me. And I turned around that day and I walked out of the kitchen. I walked back upstairs. And something switched in me. And I remember saying to God as I was walking up, I have lived my whole life for this man in that kitchen. Every decision I've made even be married and be abused by this man because I didn't call it abuse Mm -hmm. at that point was because I obeyed him because he was the voice of God he was the leader of our family he's still leading me telling me what to wear I would get emails on don't wear those shorts don't wear those pants you know I was was still being led I was still married to him Mm -hmm. as well as my father-in-law constantly telling me what to do so and um these are the men leading out in these movements I just, something switched that day, Sheila. And I can only liken it to that Jesus saves women. (laughs) Yeah. Because even my therapist told me, she's like, I don't understand how you came alive to know the truth because there was nobody in your life speaking it. And she's right, Mm -hmm. 100%. I had nobody in my Mm -hmm. life speaking to me truth. The only way I was finding truth was reading the gospels and reading about Jesus and going, why is nothing matching up to Jesus that I've been taught and told and being treated like? And there was, and Jesus was just shining in to all the brokenness. And I felt like the woman at the well being Mm -hmm. seen and heard by only one. And it was the creator of, of who I am and my being and my agency and my Mm -hmm. body and he met me in the most broken I wanted to die in 17 years of marriage at that point I had never said no I had never had a bad attitude I had done the perfect love and respect (laughs) (laughs) and uh that week was the first week that I said no to him and it wasn't a no and angry I said you know can we take a break today because I'm sick and I need some rest maybe in a couple of days, like maybe two or three days. Mm. And his response was, are you kidding? I can't go to work until I have sex. Wow. I had created through obedience to this theology, a sex addict. Yeah. He didn't care about me. He didn't love me. It was very clear, but he mm-hmm. was addicted. He didn't need porn ultimately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these, you were te- these teachings literally allowed him to have a full time around the clock porn star who was mm-hmm. taught to enjoy it. Never talk about him. Never say no. Yeah. Send him his pictures. 
make him happy. Yeah. And that's another thing. Married Sex by Gary Thomas says yes. you should send him naked pictures so that neurologically his brain will focus on you yes. instead of someone else. And then when marriage falls apart like you, he's got the naked pictures. That's right. And so you are just an object of use. You are not yeah. in an intimate, loving, mutual, Jesus-focused relationship. Yeah. It's got you are in to a do with Jesus. sex cult. <laughs> you yeah. are in a uh, the church of the sex cult. I mean, mm-hmm. that is what it was. What was crazy was I, I was so awakened during, I hate to use that word because people use it of, oh, she's woke. I don't like to use that, but I don't know what else to use as there was an awakening in that time, which I believe Jesus brought about and in my mm-hmm. deepest, darkest need. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm here with you. And in that knowing that he saw me and he heard me, I had courage. Yeah. And I began to speak up for the first time. And it wasn't in a dogmatic, unforgiving, better way. It was reasonable and honoring and loving. I would even say, I'm not saying no to sex. I'm saying, can we think about me too? Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this habit that he had that he couldn't go to church without sex. Because if you went to church not having sex, it was too tempting to go to church because women dress up at church, right? So you always had to sex on Sunday morning. The problem was I was also responsible to get eight kids ready. So it was very stressful and you have to be on time because, you know, when you're in the ministry, you have to like have the show, right? So was your ex-husband, he's, he's a pastor. He was a youth pastor. Uh, was he, youth? he has, he was a youth pastor. Then he worked for, um, vision forum. So, uh, Doug Phillips right. ministry, and mm-hmm. he wanted to go into full-time ministry the entire time that we were married. Um, the only reason he didn't at times was because he couldn't provide for all of us. And so I was mm-hmm. constantly appealing to, if you go into ministry, you know, we, we have eight kids here, but I'm not allowed to work outside the home. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a very stressful thing. Well, you're just supposed to accept that being in missions and ministry is to go without food. You're right. just supposed to, you know, accept that that's part of being godly. So, you know, you have all this programmed into you. He and now is a pastor after our divorce, he has gone into full-time ministry along with the business that I helped build before I left. But, uh, there's, there's plenty of victimization there for people to follow of the same mentality. Yeah, he is, he is in ministry. Yes. If you're listening to Alyssa's story and you're thinking, I do not want to parent like that. I want to learn how to parent my kids in a way that honors them, not tries to control them. Well, I've got some hope for you. On June 21st, I am hosting a totally free webinar called Compassionate Discipline with Wendy Snyder from Fresh Start Families. Wendy was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about Jesus-centered parenting, positive parenting, how we can discipline and guide our kids in a way that doesn't break their will, but instead nurtures it and helps them to make good choices. You do need to register. It's totally free, but the link to register is in the podcast notes. And I hope to see you there. So how are your kids doing now? Well, (laughs) we are healing. (laughs) And we all experienced abuse of different forms. Mm -hmm. All of us experienced financial abuse, which is a very real thing. I didn't know that was a thing until I got into therapy good mm-hmm. godly women natalie hoffman is amazing her book was yes. a life yes. to me is her it me is it me that i read and i just sat there like what what where's this been my whole life yeah <laughs> and, and then um shannon uh miller who is a therapist out of dallas texas who speaks she's also a believer but doesn't um 
isn't a Christian psychologist per se, um, but as a Christian who studies psychology, I've just so appreciated all of her writing and her encouragement and how she um, exposes narcissistic abuse, but also different types of abuse. Her book on financial mm -hmm. abuse blew me away. I had no idea, mm -hmm. um, but this is often the case. When you have spiritual abuse, you have so many other elements of abuse typically tied in with it. And, yeah. um, I didn't know until I got out of all the brainwashing that I was financially abused to an enormous degree, as were the kids. Uh, we didn't know it wasn't normal to have one meal a day. That's what, that's, that's normal, right? Oh, you guys are all so thin and healthy. No, we're starving. <laughs> we yeah. are starving. And he has all control over all money. So there, you know, uh, the kids, uh, all went to work by 12, uh, which is not a bad thing, but it is when you're doing it to feed your face. Mm -hmm. So we are all at different healing spots, Sheila. I was treated like a child. I was never treated yeah. like a wife. And I would say that the 10 year different thing that we talked about, I was yeah. never treated like a mutual partner or a friend. I was treated like someone to raise, someone mm -hmm. to train. And so we didn't have a marriage that was a mutual or even a friendship. And again, like I said, for me, I didn't even have physical attraction. Right. That's so awful. every, every sexual encounter is an obedience to God. Yeah. So every sexual encounter is rape, you know? So yeah, because you couldn't consent. But one of the big things was that it wasn't just, there wasn't consent to sex. It was, there wasn't true consent to the marriage. That's right. Absolutely. I've asked myself the last four years, uh, since getting free, Melissa, who would you have been before everybody else got a hold of you? maybe that's what your purpose is for the next 40 years of life. Find out who she is <laughs> yes. because yes. that is so glorifying to God to be who he created you to be. I mean, ultimately that's the greatest worship we can give him. I feel is he makes us exactly who we're supposed to be. And then, you know, if we have parents that get in there, like, no, we're, we're making you mini us. And, and that agency is stripped and that autonomy is stripped through physical abuse, which I believe spanking is, um, but also spiritual abuse and emotional, mental, psychological. In some cases, homeschooling being used as an isolation tool from the world so that your parents are your only compass. So that when you actually get into real life and to reality, you have no, you have no compass. You, right. have, you have nothing there to direct you. You don't even know what your favorite color is. When I got out of my abusive relationships four years ago, I found a little notebook in a bookstore and it was just questions to ask yourself, like to find out who you are. And I was just like, oh, who am I? You know, and for four decades, I had been told what to be and how to think and what to believe and what gets you saved and what doesn't get you saved and what's godly and what's pure and what to wear and what to say and, and what not to say. And I couldn't even tell you what my favorite food was. I couldn't tell you what I felt, what, what color I liked, like how I really, you know, what style do I like? Do I like bright colors or do I, do I really only like neutral colors? I mean, like, who am I? And that's, I and that's what people need to understand. And when, when we're, when we're sharing theologies about how male headship and how men make the decisions for their daughters and how men are the leaders of their family and how, you know, when, when we're spreading the courtship theology, we need to be very, yeah. very careful. If you do any type of study into child psychology or development, this whole concept of 
parents and dads leading the relationship for a daughter and the encouragement to do it young is tragically destructive. And I don't care if the girl is saying it, it, it worked for her or it, it went okay or it ended okay because it doesn't mm-hmm. make the process right or the theology correct. Yeah. I know there's some who will say, but I, I courted and, and, and our dads put us together at 19 and you know, he's a great guy and I'm happily married. Mm-hmm. Fine. But that doesn't make the process that went down and the headship and the leadership and the control that went down right. And it also, for so many people too, they don't even understand the harm that was done to them for years until years later. No, they don't. And and it really is tragic. Yeah. And then when it starts to unravel and it it, it takes years to, it doesn't happen overnight. I'm still in that process. I am. I may be for the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah. That's okay though. Life is about growth. Well, Alyssa, I, I really feel honored that you that you told your story for the first time with me and that this was your story. This wasn't your father's story or your father-in-law's story or your ex-husband's story. This was your story. And it's an important one. And I know that for years you, you felt like you had to portray this perfect model for Jesus. But I think in the brokenness today, you've really pointed people to Jesus. And I know he's going to do a lot with that story. And thank you. Thank you for hearing me. And he's he's going to redeem this. Yes, Um, I believe that fully. And, um, you know, the last major conversation I had with my dad four years ago when I divorced, which was tragic for them because divorce is never an option. Mm -hmm. And um, he sat me down in his office. One of the first things he said to me was, there was no compassion or thought. It's just like, now, you know, remarriage is sin of adultery. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, that's the last thing on my mind right now. I have eight kids to rescue and, and get custodial custody of and, and to take care of and to get a job. And the last, I'm not leaving to find another man. I'm not, I'm not leaving because I feel like there's hope out there somewhere. Yeah. I'm leaving because Jesus loves me and this isn't love. I'm leaving because Jesus sees me and hears me. I'm leaving because Jesus knows the truth of what happened 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving because Jesus is with me and he is what I need. And he, he is, is rescuing you. And he, he is, is rescuing you. Re- he is a rescuer. Mm-hmm. He binds up the wounds and the broken heart. He is amazing. He is a hero. When you find out who Jesus truly is and how he treated women, it blew me away. Yeah. Blew me away. I was like, wow. He's nothing like these men. Jesus, Jesus is amazing. I want to follow that man. And he's yeah. telling me to get out of here. I'm following him. <laughs> Amen. You know? Because what these men are after is not Jesus. The men are after power and control. That's right. Every day that I breathe on the outside of that cage. And I would say, Jesus has walked with me every single day. I ended up, I couldn't afford a lawyer because all my money was tied into him. And so I had to represent myself and be my own lawyer, go to court. Everyone told me you will not get custody of those kids. There's no way it's 50, 50 Texas, a patriarchal state, every, everything in the way. And Jesus walked with me. You know what? Jesus is in divorce court. Mm -hmm. He sat there with me. 
you know, Jesus is in custody battles and in lawsuits. He has walked me through every single one to eight kids and me into safety. As we cling to him and follow him while we're being told, go back and reconcile, go back and do this. Yeah. You're, you're, you're evil. You're this, you're that you're, I mean, the name calling. <laughs> well, Jesus said that his sheep know his voice and that's they right. follow him. That's right. And I'm glad that you recognized his voice. And that's the key is raising kids not to hear our voice, but to hear his voice, yeah. to listen and if we're just about making them hear our voice and we break their will to listen to our voice, we are taking away that agency and autonomy that gives them that agency to choose his voice and follow his voice and hear his voice. Well, thank, thank you, you so for much, hearing. Alyssa. Thank you for hearing my thank voice you. today. So. I'm really glad that she's safe now. Me too. And oh she, my goodness. She's honestly such a strong woman. I, I've been emailing her a little bit since last week when the first uh, the first one went up. And I am so glad that Alyssa's story ended well mm-hmm. in the sense that she was able to leave and she did get custody of her kids and yeah. she and she did find the strength to leave. We didn't have time to go into a lot of details on that part of the story because we really were running short of time in the interview. But, you know, she is in a good place now. I know, though, that a lot of people's story is not that they get custody yeah, and that things don't go as easily. And so if that is you, just please know that we are, we really feel for you. And I encourage you to follow Gretchen Baskerville, Sarah McDougall, who'll be coming on the podcast later and others uh, that can help you navigate those waters. And we're just hearing from so many women who are even, their eyes are being opened that Mm -hmm. they're in an abusive situation that they never realized. And two things happened to me this week, which Mm -hmm. really solidified this. The first was the John Piper Mm -hmm. last Friday. So the day after Alyssa's podcast dropped, put out a terrible podcast. Truly, truly horrific. Truly mind-bogglingly awful about what a wife should do if her husband is harsh. Mm-hmm. And we recorded a Facebook Live about that. I'm going to put that faith, that that live up as our podcast next week, I believe, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can hear. But basically, he completely ignored the reality of emotional abuse. Yeah. And it was, it was very damaging. The other thing that happened is that I watched the Netflix series, Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey, about the FLDS. Oh! Yeah, the I haven't gotten to watch that yet with Warren Jeffs, and it was really good. But what was so sad was, even though this is an extreme cult, so many of the things they believed are echoed in things like Gothard and in the fundamentalist movement, and seeing seeing women as some people who have to be controlled, mm-hmm. and how they're victims of temptation was really was really eye opening. So that's a great series. I highly recommend. While we were talking to Alyssa. She told her story, but then in the middle of it, she often had these great insights on specific topics. And so Katie took, Katie, our, my daughter and my video editor, took um, portions of those and, and wanted to put them at the end so that we could comment on them a bit. And so I want to jump in and let Alyssa jump in on what she thinks about modesty. And I am brought home after girls school and um, I become my dad's full-time secretary at church because... Um, with the purity mindset and the evangelical mindset, you don't want to put the pastor in temptation. So you don't hire women and Mm -hmm. you have to hire a daughter or a wife to do secretarial work because, you know, every woman's a temptation. (laughs) So my sister and I literally worked full time taking turns being secretary for the church because there was my mom's fear that if she wasn't there, we weren't there by all means, then the temptation, right? So right. they're like, mm-hmm. the, we're like the, the gatekeepers for my dad. 
mm-hmm. me, my sister, my mom, because if you take on this, this doctrine, gosh, our work is cut out for us yes. <laughs> from the time yeah. we're little girls. We have to be the gatekeeper for our dad. We have to help our mom. We can't make our mom feel insecure either though, mm-hmm. you know? So my relationship with my mom was very stressful because my dad's need to constantly cover me was urgent. So if we got into the whole modesty thing, one of the biggest traumatic things I went through as a teenager was the modesty thing. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't built like my mom. I wasn't my mom. I was this walking temptation to all men everywhere. So I carried enormous shame. I walked like this. I wore baggy clothes. I wore long dresses. I wore long skirts. I wore baggy shorts, anything to make sure I wasn't causing men to sin. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly reminded that that was my responsibility. So I carried this enormous weight. And part of that made me want to get married young. God (laughs) help me. Like, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this. This is really tough, you know? So there was a lot of pressure to like 24 seven to constantly, to help all men everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. and as an empath, that's a compassionate personality that's raised to, to be gentle and quiet and all these things. I mean, I took the job seriously, yeah. <laughs> you know, it is my job to, to save men. I mean, I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do as women? I mean, and, and if you don't, and if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, you're not dressed modestly and so-and-so stumbled over you. I mean, the, the, the guilt and the shame of that, right. For those of us who truly felt that God had called us to that, was, yes. you know, can't eat for three days. Oh my yes. God, I got them to sin, you know? So, um, yeah, it was, it was intense. It was intense, intense stuff, right. but it filtered into even my relationship very toxic with my mom. Um, so I went home and was not sent to college because I was going to get raped at college. There's men there, (laughs) you know? And so I was kept at home and yet I was graduated from homeschool. So what was I going to do? Well, I needed to be his secretary, um, because Mm -hmm. then mom wouldn't have to be there and dad didn't have to hire a woman and I could save the show. Did they pay you? Did they pay um, you? I did get paid a little something for it. Okay. Um, not much, but yeah, right, I did get right. paid a little something because I wasn't allowed to work anywhere else because if you work out in the world, then you're going to get hurt because there's men out there. Right. I was terrified of men. I mean, this whole thing, when you take it down to it, I was just like literally terrified yeah. of, of men. I was never accused of being a flirt anywhere ever because I was terrified to talk to men because mm-hmm. I have been taught and my mom taught me all men want is sex always. Mm-hmm. God made them that way all the time. That's all they think about. And mm-hmm. not only are you the gatekeeper, but you know how terrifying that is to be taught that. You know, the funny thing is like, you're explaining this and what, and, and yes, this is coming out of a fundamentalist conservative thing, but that's exactly the same message that Gary Thomas gave in his book, Married Sex. Yes. Yes. You know, he quotes, he quotes this neuroscientist who supposedly says that, that men's beings are always taking sexual stimuli and they're always at the ready to seize a sexual opportunity. Yes. Like this stuff is being taught in mainstream books. Yes. Yes. It's, yes not, it's not just the fundamentalist. My dad would literally sit me down and, and, and he would say, the reason you cannot be friends with guys, I wasn't even allowed to be friends with guys. He's like, you cannot be friends with guys because guys are incapable of having friendships with girls. They're mm-hmm. incapable of it. They have to have more. There's no guy out there that can just be friends. And I'd be like, dad, are you sure? 
Like mm-hmm. I know some guys that treat me pretty decent. Like they, they, they just want to be my friend. No, they don't. They only want sex. So I was constantly right. told this. Well, it worked because it made me terrified of guys. So my dad had complete control. I mean, hundred percent right. control because I believed him now looking back, I'm like, Oh my God, was he telling on himself or what? Yeah, I know. know. Like, why do these men not realize that? Yeah, exactly. Because the truth is, since I have been out and about, they don't know. (laughs) Actually, some that can be friends. And it's a good thing because in real life and reality, we have to work with men. Yeah. You know, and now that I'm in the real world day in and day out, it's like having to learn life for real. Mm Mm-hmm have real conversations with real people and real men without objectification, without sexualizing everything. I really love how she said that her father was telling on himself. I know. <laughs> I can't. Okay. But like the thing about these kind of sectors of Christianity is that these men think that they are the most godly men in the world. Yeah. And they can't be around a person who is not their child or their wife without having sex. I know. Like, how is what that the actual crap? And mm-hmm. that makes me think, like, what are their experiences? Like, how many of these men in hyper-patriarchal um, sectors of Christianity are having multiple extramarital affairs? Well, and actually, um, there, there was a part of our conversation that, that I've decided not to put on the podcast uh, where where Alyssa talks about some of her experiences with higher-ups with in the Doug Phillips organization and with the Gothards. Like, sexual abuse really was rampant there. And yeah. that's been well-documented. I just... Because names were <laughs> Names were involved. We I, can't, I, I uh... can't, yeah. But, you know, this had... Like, in these hyper, hyper fundamentalist purity culture places, sexual abuse was rampant. Well, and it's not just even sexual abuse. I'm not talking about sexual abuse abuse alone i'm talking about just are these men genuinely seeking affairs the yeah. second that they are given mm-hmm. a, a chance to yeah. are these men watching who are, porn like crazy yeah, because i can't imagine being at the point that the only way that you don't automatically bang someone upon entering a room is it, it's your daughter yeah i know like it's just ridiculous and and i find that a very uh it was interesting how that affected her relationship with her mother too yeah because she felt like she had to make her mother not feel insecure. Yeah. But at the same time, this is a very, very ridiculous situation. And the fact that her, as she's, you know, she was married 15 years and both her father-in-law and father are still sending her emails about what she can wear and what she can't wear. It's so creepy. It's just so creepy. Okay, let's turn to the next bit where she talks about how this is actually just a sex cult. Yeah. Everything. But see, the truth is the purity culture sexualizes everything. Yeah. It makes sex god it it's is like a sex cult the whole thing is, it a, is sex a sex cult. cult exactly no i the whole every i i say i was raised in a cult and it was mm-hmm. a sex cult <laughs> mm-hmm. everything was about sex and about men and about marriage how to keep it or how to make it or how to make sure you didn't have it, mm-hmm. it that was literally like the basis for everything yeah and i look back now and i'm like i mean even getting my will submitted to my parents was so i would be a virgin i mean it was like Oh, right. Okay. I mean, like you look at it now, it's just like we were in a sex cult. This yeah. is crazy. And especially for some of us, much deeper so. I have been saying <laughs> <laughs> that in a, a lot of evangelicalism is just a sex cult for years. Yeah. Especially the purity culture evangelicalism. Like the mm-hmm. this the whole hyper conservative focus on sexual uh perfection mm-hmm. that has swept in over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's turned evangelicalism from 
uh, like it's turned it's turned that form of Christianity from a religion that's about serving others and helping the community to being about judging people based on what they've done with their penis or their vagina lately. Yeah. Like no, totally. Because I remember, I remember the, as a teenager, the way that I decided whether someone was a Christian or not was what they believed about sex. It wasn't how they yeah. acted to other people. Now, I'm not saying that we that, that what we believe about sex doesn't matter, but it's like it's such a narrow definition. It yeah. was the only thing that mattered. Yeah. It wasn't how they treated the poor. It wasn't how much they read their Bible. It wasn't yeah. any of that. It was what they thought about sex. Yep. Whereas, you know, throughout the Bible, over and over and over and over again, we are told that our, our true religion is not about whether or not you've had sex before. Mm-hmm. You know, true religion is about taking care of the widows and the orphans. True religion yeah. is about, mm-hmm. like, serve the sheep. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes, keep yourself unstained from the world. Sure, but also... <laughs> but that's a natural repercussion of knowing Christ. It's not yeah. the way that you know Christ. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 if we're going to be caring for the widow and orphan, that means caring for people like Alyssa. Yep. And that's what we need to do. Okay, let's let's get into our final word um, in, in my conversation with Alyssa. And this is, this is what I want people to understand. This is such a, I think this is why I love you on social media and why we've connected so much is because this is the essential message that we have is like, we're not saying all of these people are abusive, but when you follow ideas that erase women, whatever you do to the least of these, you did to me, we're erasing Jesus. That's right. That's right. The fruits of removing the way Jesus sees men and women and replacing it with this man-made concept and idea mm-hmm. is abuse. It mm-hmm. is abuse and it will have the fruit of abuse. And so I think even there's plenty of people who don't have abusive hearts per se. Um, and yet if they adopt doctrines and follow these theologies, whether it's focused on the family or John MacArthur or Doug Phillips or Bill Gothard, or for some of the earlies in the eighties that may remember Jonathan Linval. Um, there's just so many men after man, after man, after man. What we have is we have theologies and doctrines that erase love. Yeah. And that is who God is. He is love. So we're erasing God. We're, we're removing him out of relationship. We're, re- we're removing Christ out of the parent child relationship. Mm-hmm. And yet we're doing it in the name of God. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, the tragedy. That is, that is why we see in droves my generation that was raised in an evangelical church running from it. I think that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yes, absolutely. When it's you taking attribute, God's name in vain. <laughs> yes, when you attribute to God what is so obviously not of God, exactly. what is so devoid of love, right. and what is at heart controlling Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really taking and using aspects of the Bible and removing them from the personhood of Jesus Christ and using them to manipulate and mold to be able to control, mm-hmm. to be able to use, to be able to objectify. And ultimately, a lot of times, I'd like to say it all comes back to sex. Yeah, you control women's sexuality so that then when these men get married, they get sex on demand. Yes, absolutely. I said at the end of the podcast last week, and I want to reiterate this again, just how honored I feel that Alyssa did share her story Mm -hmm. with us. This was a very brave thing for her to do. Uh, She still has family members that are very well known in fundamentalist homeschooling circles. And so she will be getting flack for this. And, uh, And so keep her in your prayers. 
Yeah, and if you have any words of encouragement, comment them and we'll send them her yeah, way. Yeah, we will send them her way. I don't think she's looking at the comments. That's a smart idea. Yeah, but we, yeah. but I've been sending her things her way. I know that many of you listening too may have recognized this is my story. Yeah. I I am in an abusive marriage and I don't know what to do. Or maybe like Alyssa, you've left, but you feel lost. And one of my good friends, Sarah McDougall, I think I recommend every day, at least <laughs> five people follow her on Facebook. She's such a tremendous ethical uh, advocate yeah. for women who are coming out of abusive relationships, coming out of betrayal trauma, and trying to get them help, practical mm-hmm. help. And she's got a new app, and I want to invite Sarah onto the podcast now to tell you about Trauma Mamas. I'm so excited to bring my friend Sarah McDougall on the podcast. Sarah and I well, were on a webinar together a while ago that I was hosting, but I think this is the first time we've been on the Bare Marriage podcast, isn't it? Sarah is awesome. She is uh, an amazing abuse advocate, and, and she's a Trauma Mama supporter and does some great stuff on Facebook and a lot of private groups that she runs and we're good buddies <laughs> and I'm really excited about what you're doing right now I think this is an awesome thing we've just been talking on the rest of the podcast about how some women just have it really 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 bad in marriage and they need to get out and when you've had it really 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 bad and you get out you're just off in a mess and so how do you pull yourself up and that's where your app comes in. So why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, well, thank you, Sheila, for having me today. And hi to everyone. Um, (laughs) I pop up on Sheila's page and make random snarky comments every now and then. And sometimes I try to make really compassionate ones and not be snarky all the time. Let me just put my little halo right back on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, so I'm a co-founder of Wilderness to Wild. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a domestic violence survivor and child sexual abuse survivor. And I've been a trauma mama, which is a term that I coined for mamas who are parenting after trauma. Now, I don't know if there are other people who've used it before, but I specifically kind of came up with it for our demographic, our group of women who are parenting while healing. And that's Mm -hmm. really one of the hardest things to do is to stay strong for your kids while you privately fall apart and rebuild yourself. (laughs) after intense pain and betrayal and heartbreak and sometimes poverty and pennilessness. I mean, so I had that happen in my own life. I was a clergy spouse for 13 years. Yeah. And then in my mid thirties, I had everything in the figurative house that I thought I had been building for the prior decade burned down around our ears. And I don't mean a house fire, although those can be traumatic too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I discovered that it was no longer safe in our family Mm -hmm. to stay where we were. And so surviving that my kids and I were homeless for four months after that. And I didn't have a job for several months and we were existing out of a suitcase a piece in our car and the the hospitality of friends and family members and relatives and distant cousins and you know <laughs> just trying not to wear out our welcome and it takes time to just get out of survival mode and a lot of times you feel stuck in survival mm-hmm. mode it takes time to come out of the fog and let the fog burn off 
so that you can see things clearly and start recognizing things that were abuse that you may have just taken as normal because you were conditioned to accept them. It takes time if you have been courageous enough to seek safety and you got out and you escaped and you lost all of your social circle and maybe even your relatives and family connections in the process, it takes time mm -hmm. to rebuild and find safe new people. So all of these things are part of that trauma mama experience. And if you throw in divorce, custody battle, trying to protect your kids in case they are in danger from the other parent or other relatives, mm -hmm. legal fees, trying Perhaps you were a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you were a homeschool mom. Suddenly you're faced with, do I put my kids in school? Now I have to go get a job. Did I have the skills for these jobs? Did I have training or did I expect and plan mm -hmm. for my life to be a stay-at-home mom? And I was going to rely on my husband and now I can't. This is, it's like trauma on every level. Mm -hmm. Finances, emotions, betrayal, spiritual abuse often, if your church does mm -hmm. not support and keep you safe, parenting, family court, custody problems, feeling afraid for your children's safety, having to figure out how to pay for these astronomical legal bills. Maybe you have medically needy kids. A lot of times trauma mamas end up having autoimmune issues. They end up getting cancer. They have fibromyalgia or they have other health mm -hmm. issues, or you have a child that gets diagnosed with ADHD or autism or some other kind of thing, and you feel like you are spending your entire existence just trying to keep some of the balls in the air. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of material out there right now, more than there were 10, 15 years ago by a long shot. But there's, there's a ton of increasing material about recognizing abuse, about understanding betrayal trauma, if you're mm -hmm. married to a porn or a sex addict, about recognizing financial abuse, recognizing domestic violence, and even how to make safety plans and get out. Like it's even on public news, like there's cases mm -hmm. all the mm -hmm. time that we hear. But once you're out, you're in this long slog until usually your youngest turns 18. And if you have little ones, that is a very long time before you can be completely free of whatever it is that you've gone through. Right. And yet there are ways to heal so that those things are not controlling you and keeping you broken while you're waiting for that, like for the last baby to grow up or whatever else is going on. Mm -hmm. And that's why we created the Trauma Mamas app. Because like 82% of Wild's audience is on mobile. Everybody's like, every yes. mama I know is on her phone. Like this yes. is your lifeline. You don't, you might forget your glasses. You might forget your pants, but you do not forget your phone. <laughs> and so like every mama's that I know that's going through this is finding community online. Right. Finding support online, enter COVID and pandemics and lockdowns, finding counseling on Zoom getting, getting therapy online, telehealth conferences for your kids, for doctor's appointments online, everything's on your phone. Mm -hmm. So we thought, you know what? There's literally nothing or very little for trauma mamas who are going through this stuff, this long haul. Stuff. Yeah. That's amazing. And I know it's going to help so many people, you know, when you were just describing all the things that women go through when they escape these destructive relationships. What I'm thinking is 
nobody would go through that just on a whim. Oh, for sure not. They don't do it just because one day they wake up and they say, you know what? I just don't want to be married anymore. (laughs) I'm not saying divorce like that doesn't happen. I'm saying that it's very rare (laughs) that people are going to let themselves be homeless, (laughs) that, that they're going to, that they're going to stop being a stay at home mom and go out and get a job and deal with all of this stuff on their own. If there's not a good reason. And we need, when people come to you and say, when, and it's not always women, but it's primarily women come to you and say, I can't do this. This is dangerous for me. We need to start listening and not just assuming they're being selfish or they haven't tried hard enough, or maybe they haven't read their Bible enough. (laughs) I know that there are situations out there where there are selfish reasons for divorces. I don't personally think I know anyone personally who who just had a selfish reason for a divorce, but Mm -hmm. just just to be generous, I'm sure those exist. Yeah. I know a couple. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you know, we have about right now, 5,000 women in our private support groups Mm -hmm. from 45 countries, primarily United States and Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, South Africa. Those Mm -hmm. are our top sources. Uh, Nigeria also, and Kenya have a lot. In general, when a woman is willing to be homeless, to leave behind her social circle, her church, possibly family, definitely friends. Yeah. The more comfortable thing to do for all of those things is to stay in the abuse. Yeah. That's familiar. It may be awful, but it's familiar. And at least your bills are paid, right? Yeah. You're not homeless or moving into another home. You may be scared at home, but you're at home. Mm -hmm. And I'm not making light of those situations. I'm saying that leaping out into the unknown is absolutely terrifying. And few people do that without having long since passed their limit. So what does the app do? So once they've, once they've left and they're desperate and they're, they feel alone, what, what sorts of supports can they get from the app? Okay. So we have multiple things. First of all, the app is a free download and I'm just going to show it to you right there. Do you see that one? That one right there? Yes. So you get inside and you will see that we have a start here and it talks about what you need to know first. It introduces the coaches. It introduces the different types of supports and things that are available. And then we have quizzes. We have quizzes like, are my resources safe or how safe have my resources been? Because we all know that a lot of Christian resources have not been safe. (laughs) No, but the quiz helps you validate whether those, the, the unsafety, that sense that you felt like why, because it points out the things you should be looking for and that any resource that is healthy and safe should be able to give you. Yeah. It's super educational and validating. And it also kind of gives you a score range as to just how bad your resources may have been (laughs) and kind of how much trauma you might have had going along with that. And then we also have a PDF download with a safe or unsafe checklist. Mm-hmm. And we have a bunch of statistics that go with that for the geeks, the ones who likes to geek out among us. You know, we have some yeah. nerds always. Some people are like, just give me the highlights. And some people are like, I want to know all the dirt. I want to yes. know all the statistics and the everything. Then this one is huge. The next one is called the hotlines. 
and we have researched more than 200 global territories and regions. And we have identified hotlines and helplines for gender-based violence, domestic violence, and support for women in local countries, territories, provinces around the world. Mm-hmm. And we also have a list of a few dozen places that have nothing. So that it's very obvious, like if, if you're in one of these, we don't know of anything, but here are outside resources that could right. happen. Right. Um, and it makes it easier that if something does happen, maybe there's an NGO that starts in one of those and we can get notified of that. We can add it on because we mm-hmm. know exactly which areas are kind of empty. Mm-hmm. We also have a section called the support, and this is links to private confidential support groups for a number of types of trauma, whether that is family and court trauma, whether that is betrayal trauma, whether that is a grandmother who is maybe trying to figure out how to support her daughter and grandchildren who are going through trauma, Mm -hmm. um, child sexual abuse recovery, different types of things. Then we have a couple of in-app upgrades for those who want something more. So Mm -hmm. we have all of that. That's all free content. It comes to everyone everywhere. The app is free everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make sure that all of the crisis content, yeah, There's no charge for that because we don't believe that anyone who is trying to get safe or just trying to figure out which way is up in the fog can Mm -hmm. ever have to pay for directions out of the fog. Right. I don't think that's ethical. But then for those who are out and who want more, we have an in-app upgrade called the resources and the resources is a buck a month, Uh like pretty much affordable almost anywhere in the world if you're in a developed country. Yes. And that gives you, okay. So over the last 10 years, I have gleaned like Thomas Jefferson's library of resources, right? Uh Like I read voraciously. I'm always bookmarking links and things that are useful and stuff, just free stuff that I find anywhere from anyone that is reliable and useful. And I'm curating that. So I decided to take my library of curated stuff that I use to give to coaching clients and Mm -hmm. to other people when I'm doing workshops or presentations or intensive trainings. And I decided to collate that curated library of stuff. And for a buck a month, I will send you a fresh resource link to something podcast. I've got podcasts of yours and articles of yours in there. Oh, awesome book links, PDFs, white papers, apps that you can use, just checklists, whatever that I have found out of that curated stuff for like, there's years worth of it. Mm -hmm. And you get a new one every week. That way Mm -hmm. you don't have to just like go into like, here's one mass list of Sarah's (sighs) favorite links. And you need to spend 15 hours combing through everything. I just, I do it kind of in a gradual thing, (laughs) in a logical order based on when you might join on the way up. Right. So that's, that's the resources. And then we have a support community specifically for those who want post-trauma growth. And that's Mm -hmm. called the trauma toolkits. So I have a co-founder with wild and her name is Bren and she is an ITR that's instinctual trauma response certified coach. Mm -hmm. So she does profound amounts of research into proven trauma tools for both moms and kids. So Mm -hmm. our toolkits include expert interviews from people like Dr. Evan Stark, like 
the guy who originally started writing about coercive control, Dr. Mm -hmm. Dan Allender. We have law enforcement professionals. We have security professionals. We have web and IT professionals for all kinds of practical stuff. And you get like a checklist, five steps for some action plan you can take in Mm -hmm. this expert area. And then we have trauma tools for mom, trauma tools and psychoeducation for kids too. And then we have spiritual comfort with just something that is cozy and makes you want to wrap up with a blanket and just breathe for a little while. So I love to cover that. Like all the bases. And there's a private community like off of Facebook, right in the app. That's awesome. And, you know, some of our, most of our listeners probably are not in trauma because we're here to improve our marriages, which is great. But I think we all know women who are. And so just keep this in mind, trauma mamas. It's a, it's a great app that you can suggest to them to help them through what is really probably the most difficult time in their lives where they're going to feel helpless and alone. So this is a tool that you can suggest that can help them get on their feet. You are a pastor, if you are a pediatrician, if you are mm-hmm. an attorney, if you are an OBGYN, mm-hmm. any of these kinds of fields, labor and delivery nurse, midwives, we had those professionals talking to us often about how they run into women who mm-hmm. need resources. And this is the perfect kind of free app download resource. Amen. If you're a professional that comes in contact with a lot of other people. That's awesome. Well, I, thanks for joining us, Sarah. Again, people need to check out her page. We'll put a link to it, her Facebook page, Sarah, Mc, uh, Sarah McDougall there. You know, one of the things that I find really inspirational about you is that you are about growth. You know, you were in a terrible place in your life, but that's not where you are today. And isn't that what life with Jesus is supposed to be? You know, that we're not stuck, even when things seem hopeless and helpless, God's grace is amazing. And, and he can take us places that, that you couldn't even have imagined. Like, can you imagine that you would ever be doing this? You'd ask me 10 years ago, if I would be making an app today, I'd be like, (laughs) yeah. So by the way, the link is traumamamas.app slash get. Traumamamas.app slash get. And we will put the link in the podcast notes too. So thank you, Sarah. Um, Go find her, everybody. She's awesome to follow. And she has a lot of wisdom. (laughs) for having me y'all have a good day i think what's so hard for so many people when you are you know leaving especially if you've been in a patriarchal abusive situation is the entire rug is taken up from under you Mm -hmm. because a lot of these these women you know they they haven't had to make decisions for themselves for a long time too or maybe a lot of their agency has been taken away so having that practical step-by-step instructions that sarah is giving in her app yeah. Having actual access to not just here's the overall philosophy of what you should do, but hey, here are steps you can take today mm-hmm. to do X, Y, and Z. That's just, it takes so much of the mental load off mm-hmm. of figuring out how to protect yourself and your kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so we highly recommend Trauma Mamas. Go check that out. Check out Sarah. And thank you so much for joining us again on the Bear Marriage Podcast. And we will see you again next week where we tackle some more things about emotional abuse, John Piper, and patriarchal advice. <laughs> see, <laughs> see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>